0: May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Amen. For some of you, Wednesday might have been a great day, but it would be fair to say, for me, it was not the best day of my life. I woke on Wednesday morning hoping to see history made, to see what 20 years ago seemed unthinkable now happening. A woman president elect in the United States of America. At around 4 p.m., I opened up my news feed to see the results, expecting to see a Hillary Clinton victory, but instead it was all Trump and all Republican. And as a self-confessed bleeding heart left-wing liberal, I would have to say it was devastating. The waves of anxiety hit me, and I had to shut down everything and just focus on what needed doing, which included writing a theme for your pew sheet. You're very lucky you got that. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to write, just because I had to write it. And then I had to go to choir practice where people were talking about all these things, and we were supposed to concentrate on singing. It was not my best work, I'd have to say. I couldn't really concentrate. I felt like the world was ending. It's a little extreme, but however you see Donald Trump, it's not great news all round. I despair for my American friends who are now left in a position of incredible doubt and fear, not sure what the future holds, and I despair for our world feel like being one of those doomsdayers who goes around calling we're all doomed or the end is nigh or we're all going to die or something cheerful like that. And it feels like today's gospel reading fits right in with that, doesn't it? It feels a little bleak. Here is Jesus in the temple seemingly doing Just that. The end is nigh. You're all doomed. You're all going to die. In Jesus telling, in Luke's telling of this Jesus story, we are near the end. The shadow of death. The shadow of all of the end of all that the disciples are hoping for casts a very long shadow across what we heard today. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Palm Sunday has happened. The end is nigh. What we just heard is part of what amounts to Jesus' last words. And they are significant because they are his last words. In this genre of writing, in the telling the story of great people, the last words are always significant. It's like they're in a thin place, moving from life to life after death, and they see the world in a different way. And so they are seen as significant and often as the means by which All else should be judged. So these words we heard today are important and we need to take note. Jesus is in the temple and he overhears what turns out to be some of his disciples. It's a little unclear at the beginning of the story but as the story goes on it appears Luke assumes they are his disciples in the way that he describes what Jesus said. And his disciples are in awe of where they are. The temple is magnificent. It is huge. The stones are that by which it was built, the stone blocks are huge. You can still see some of them today on the Western Wall. It's magnificent. And they are in awe. And they see it as a sign of God's greatness and of God's promise to his people. And to all this, Jesus says simply, this is a castle quote, you're dreaming. Or as the message puts it, all this you're admiring so much. The time is coming when every stone in that building will end up in a heap of rubble. Well, that's a conversation stopper, isn't it? Imagine going to St. Peter's in Rome. And telling somebody that as they stand in that grand place. And all those who have been talking respond to Jesus by saying, just as we would say, What? What are you talking about? How can this place be about to come down? And if it is going to come down, when? When will this happen? What clue will we get that this is about to take place? The rest of the reading is, John, is Jesus' response to that question. What clue will we get that this is about to take place? And how we read that response is really important. I have to confess that most of the time I read Jesus' response as, Well, here's some clues. And because I don't really like the clues, I tend to avoid this reading. In fact, on Tuesday, I didn't think I'd be preaching this Sunday. I thought I was on a Nohomurai, but it got cancelled. And Wendy said, Well, if you're not going on your Nohomurai, you can take the services. And on Tuesday, when we were talking about this reading, I said, Well, thank God I'm not preaching on Sunday. And then on Tuesday afternoon, Oh, look at that, here I am preaching. <laughs> But are there other ways we can read this reading? Well, the first hint of some other ways we can read this reading can be found in the style that Luke uses to record Jesus' answer. And in Luke's telling of the answer, the style is apocalyptic. Now, there are a number of styles of writing in the Bible which we tend to forget and try to apply the same way of reading to anything that we read. So there's a whole lot of law. There's a whole lot of history. There's a whole lot of poetry. It's amazing how often we try to read in the Bible law and history and poetry exactly the same way. We wouldn't do it anywhere else. We wouldn't read a law book and a history book and a poetry book in exactly the same way. But For some reason we try to do it with the Bible. But they're different styles of writing and should be read differently. And so, what's apocalyptic? Well, apocalyptic writing is, well, the best example of that, of course, is the book of Revelation. That's all apocalyptic. But Daniel, a lot of that's apocalyptic. Some of the Psalms. There's patches of apocalyptic writing throughout the scriptures. Written from... The kind of what we call the intertestament test- inter- period. So that's kind of after the Greeks came through and took over the known world, and around 300 through to the writing of the New Testament, up to about 100, 150. Apocalyptic literature is sometimes read as predicting the future, but actually, it was never about predicting the future. It was written to assure the faithful which includes you and me, that we should keep our trust in God, even when facing the most troubling circumstances. It's not about giving us clues for future events so that we can understand their meaning. They're not about giving us clues to know when the end will come. It was much more an exhortation to those readers or hearers of the time, to keep hold of their faith in God. In light of that, Jesus is saying to his hearers, those people who are in awe of the temple, you don't need to worry about clues. There are no clues. Focus instead on what is important. Or as the message puts it, When you hear of wars and uprisings, keep your head. Don't panic. This is routine history and no sign of the end. Jesus is saying, keep calm. When bad things happen, and they will, and for some of us, Wednesday was one of those occasions, stay calm. Focus on God's generosity and hope. There will be wars, there will be famines, and all kinds of bad stuff. Don't panic. Some will come saying they have the answers and can save us all. Don't listen. My followers will be persecuted, arrested, imprisoned, some even executed. Don't dwell on it. Don't live your lives anticipating it. Do not give in to despair. Do not lose yourselves in fear or anger. Don't follow anyone proclaiming these are signs of the end or of God's judgment. They're not. There are more important things to do. Instead, look to God. Trust that God remains present in our lives and in our world, even in America. I would have to say, having to write a sermon on this passage, was a gift it gave me words of hope and I badly needed to hear it I think what is even more important about this reading is if we see that what Jesus is saying is describing some signs and clues well we can just sit back and let what God do, what God does and there are a lot of Christians around who do just that The end is coming, God will do what God will do, I don't need to do anything. And I've been told that we don't need to do anything by some of those. Or worse, if we could just get the world in a bad enough state, Jesus will come again. And so there are Christians who fund extremist groups in Israel to make sure that World War 3 will happen just so Jesus will come again. Because... That's what Jesus says needs to happen before he'll come. And they use passages like we heard today. But if we hear this passage as saying, don't despair, there are no clues, keep hope, then we can't just sit back. This passage is an invitation to set aside our despair, to focus instead on what is important. And to carry on with what is important. So, where should we focus our attention? Well, today I'd have to say that God was at work in the lectionary. Because not only did the lectionary writers give us the passage from Luke, but they gave us the passage from Isaiah with its astounding message of hope. A vision given to everyone given to a people seemingly trapped in exile at the mercy of and in servitude to the Babylonian Empire with no hope. And to those people, Isaiah, well, not Isaiah because he was a long time before this, but one of the prophets who remained in his school keeping his... his, (coughs) Prophecies alive, keeping his tradition alive, reinterpreting them for an on for new generations. They offer this reinterpretation. In today's reading, God offers hope to those people, and God offers hope to us as we face our uncertain world. A vision of what the reign of God will and does look like. So when you're tempted, when you're tempted to give in to despair or resentment or anger, when what is is happening is just too much, I invite you to take out your Bibles and to read this passage. Because this vision is what Jesus is talking about. There are a number of scholars who say that Jesus understood his mission in terms of Isaiah. Isaiah was his go-to book of the Bible. This is what we should pay attention to, and this is what should consume our attention—not Trump, not despair. This is what we should be inspired by. This is what should shape our lives, even when—and everything else should be ju- is just a distraction. That doesn't mean we ignore Trump and his divisive pro- policies. But this vision and other, others like it in the scriptures is what we should work towards with all our heart and souls. Because this is what loving God by loving our neighbour and as ourselves looks like. This is God at work. And God is at work in this vision and invites us to join in. On Friday, people around the world gathered and stopped to mark the end of World War I, that great war between empires. And so in our lectionary, today is Remembrance Sunday, which, to be honest, is not a big deal in this country because we have Anzac Day. That's the day that we stop and remember. But this morning we're given an opportunity to join with others around the world To remember all those who died in that war. All those who died fighting for the British Empire, the French Empire, the Russian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the German Empire. Just to make sure you get the idea that this was war between empires. Today we also remember those who came home forever changed. And my family bore the cost of that on both sides, those who did not come home and those who did come home. We remember the cost paid by all those families around the world. And we remember those caught up in the wars spawned by this great war, and those caught up in conflict today. And as we remember, I wonder what would the world look like today if the leaders of those empires had not given in to fear and anger and patriotism and greed and instead had focused on this vision from Isaiah had instead focused on God's work of generosity, goodness and peace Today we grieve Some will grieve the events in the USA of the last week. Some will grieve those caught in war. And as we grieve, we also join join the hearers of Isaiah's great vision of hope. We hear again Jesus' teaching to not give in to despair, to not get overtaken by events. Instead, we are to bring our dwindling hopes our fears, our sadness and anger, and refocus on the truth that God continues to work in this world, bringing in God's reign built on generosity, hope, goodness and peace. May we lay aside our grief and despair and be a people marked by this hope.